0: Just comes down to a fight. There are many people in this room today that are just going through a good old fashioned fight, hair pulling, elbow biting fight. Last two and a half years, we've all been in a war with many different varied battlefields. There's the things we have gone through as a nation, corporately, and then there are the things we go through personally. So We've all been through uh, a time over the last two years of severe political unrest, political divides and uh, fighting with each other to the point that we've said it before, we're shocked at the families, the entire families that are separated and not speaking because uh, different members of the family align on a different side of the political spectrum. Uh, This political divide has uh, brought division to churches and entire communities, and uh, it's it's not slowing down anytime soon. The fall is coming. And then we've been dealing with wave after unending wave of COVID and all of the impacts and the closures and the different things. And we have gone through it and seemingly some of the worst of it is over, but there's lingering effects that it has on us as a nation and then we're all seeing the inflation that has turned uh, to recession some people are saying it's not technically a recession sure does feel like one when you go to the grocery store when you go to the gas station still um, you can just sort of feel it in the air uh, the economic difficulties it's it's a fight and that's just to mention the corporate things that we're all going through, not to mention the personal things, the personal fights that you've had to go through in your life, health scares that you've had as an individual. There's nothing like a good health scare to throw you into anxiety for weeks and months. You know, you have something major come up in your health and you're really worried about it. And It's so crazy. You call the doctor. You want to get seen and tested like today, and they can see you in three months from now. We have an opening where we can come and test you three months from now. What am I supposed to do for three months or marriage and family problems? Oh, nothing can, nothing can get you into anxiety like marriage and family problems, you know, because you have to go out in the world and fight so many battles and struggle with so many things. And you want your home to be your sanctuary and your safe place. But when things aren't good at home, you fight out in the world and then you come home and you have to fight again. And you're just living in a cycle of warfare and and you've been in a fight now. You may not have been punched in the face, but you have been assaulted. Everybody's in some kind of fight. Rich people in a fight, poor people in a fight, beautiful people in a fight, ugly people, ugly as a mud fence on Friday, still in a fight. And as a Christian, I want you to remember that it's not just life. It's not just the vicissitudes of life that we struggle against. Some of, not all of, but some of what we're going through has a spiritual component. The scripture says, our adversary, our enemy, the devil goes about as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour and to encourage believers who are not only fighting life's everyday battles, but also who are facing spiritual attacks. The apostle Paul writes the book of Ephesians. Go over there with me really quickly. Go to Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 18. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. He doesn't say be strong. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. In other words, trade your strength for his. Verse 11, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able. This is such an amazing concept to me. He doesn't say that you may be able to win. He doesn't say that you may be able to fight. He says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand. That means standing is winning. That means standing is the miracle. That means standing is the goal. It's not necessarily about advancing. It's not necessarily about killing devils so you'll never have to see them again. It's not necessarily about solving all the problems. The goal, the trophy is, after all I've been through, the armor helped me to still be standing. And then he says in verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against The rulers of the darkness of this age, that's culture, cultural darkness, Uh, the darkness that every generation seems to grow a little bit in their darkness. Every generation seems to be a little less uh, inclined to the things of God. He says, that's what we are facing and fighting spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Therefore, verse 13, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. There it is again in the evil day and having done all to stand. I I do want you to know if you've been in a battle with depression, anxiety, fear going through hell. I do want you to know there is victory to be found this morning just in the fact that you are still standing. You're winning if you're standing, you're succeeding if you are standing. You may be bruised, but you're standing. You may be bloody, but you are standing. You may not have all the answers, but you are standing. Don't let the enemy or people cause you to confuse how successful you've become just in the fact that you are standing, having done all to stand. Verse 14 stand therefore having girded your waist with truth that word, truth. There is doctrine, core doctrine, fundamental doctrines, the things we believe deeply about Jesus. Sound doctrine will hold you together when everything else in your life is shaking. Fundamental core doctrine will hold you together. He says having girded your waist. That's what a a girdle does in the armor of a warrior. It pulls the whole armor together. Then he talks about the breastplate of righteousness, having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace above all, taking the shield of faith. And then he talks about the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit in verses 16 and 17. So here, Paul is equipping the church at Ephesus for warfare. Everybody say warfare warfare. Those times in your life when you are up under attack and you got arrows flying at you and you got a sword coming at you and you're in an all out war. But what about worry? Worry is a little different than warfare. Worry is what you go through in anticipation of the war. Worry is the, is the brace that you throw up before the th- punch is thrown. And I just want to submit to you. And I think you'll agree if you really ponder it many times, not all the time, but many times. Worry is worse than the war. Tense in your whole body up bracing for the punch is often more stressful and difficult than taking the punch itself. And the fear of what might happen is often worse and more tormenting than the battle itself. The ultimate truth that you have to remember is your enemy cannot destroy you outright. He cannot just come up to you And deal you a crippling blow. Satan himself. Could walk into your bedroom. And unleash everything he can. Against you. And he can't destroy you. Because greater is he. That is in you. Than he that is in the world. So since he cannot whip you. He tries to wear you out. Since he cannot destroy you. He tries to make your mind dog-tired with worry, anxiety, and fear. And anxiety, if you're taking notes, is the weapon the enemy deploys the most. Anxiety causes you to feel as if you've been attacked, when in reality, you've only been threatened. It would be like feeling the punch from somebody punching you in the face, When all they did was just said, I'm going to hit you. That's what anxiety does to your mind. And as a result, the enemy can cause you to lose days, weeks, months, and sometimes years of your life worrying about the mights, the maybes, and the what ifs. Keeping you in a bracing posture Keeping you in a questioning and in a stress posture when nothing has even happened. Do you know that there is a limit set by God to how many bad days you're going to have in your entire life? We see this in the book of Job. When, when Satan came to God, he said, have you considered my servant Job? And the enemy said, yeah, but you you know, there's, there's a hedge around him. You put a hedge of protection around him. I can't, I can't get to him. And he started trying to negotiate with God to drop the hedge. And when God agreed, God set the limits. In fact, he did it on multiple occasions because Satan kept coming back and God kept imposing limits on the enemy. This is how far you can go no further. That's because the scripture says, God will not put on us more then we are able to bear. That means there's only so much the enemy can do. There's only so many bad days that you're going to have. So since the enemy cannot add more bad days to your life, he tries to deceive you into turning your good days into bad days by worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow. I'm not, uh, I'm not a person, I'm not a person who lives with a whole lot of regret. Okay, I just, I don't get into the regret thing. Now I've made a lot of really dumb choices and stupid mistakes and done plenty of bad in my life. Okay, I'm right up there with the, you know, Hall of Fame bad, you know, things. But, but I believe that even the negative things I've done has helped shape help me learn, help give me wisdom. And I don't know if I would think the way I think and see the way I see without the negative things that I've been through. So I don't, reg- I don't regret, but, 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 but if I had to tell you one thing I regretted, and it's really only one, one thing I regretted, one thing I would go back and do differently. I regret all the time I spent worrying about what might happen. I regret all of the hours and the days and when you add it up, you know, it accumulates the weeks and the months and the years of my life that I'll never get back. Worrying, do you know, I've been a professional worrier in my life, just a, an amazing ask my wife. I'm, I can be a professional worrier, but do you know, as good as I am at worrying, as excellent as I am at worrying, do you know, it's never changed the outcome of a situation? And I'm a professional. You know, it's never made me feel better. You know, it's never brought me any peace. It, it's never done anything for me. And when I look, look back over my life, I, I hate the time that I wasted worrying. How much of your life would you figure that, that you spent worrying? How many good days got destroyed because you were worrying about something? Not that happened that might happen. I mean, nothing has happened yet, but it could happen. And what would we do if that happened? And that if that happened, what would we do then? And you go down the rabbit hole. Y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all ain't professional warriors. Like, like, like I can go 10 or 12 levels deep with the derivatives of circumstances, <laughs> anxiety breaks your gauges. Okay. There was a pilot that was flying his personal little plane and he's by himself flying at night, got in the clouds and in the fog and his gauges were broken. And they, the gauges were telling him, you're flying too low. You're about to crash. You better pull up. And the more he pulled up, the gauges kept saying, you're flying too low. You're going to crash. You better pull up. And he kept flying higher and higher and higher until the plane got too high, lost all oxygen. The plane crashed and he died, not because he was flying too low. The gauges were broken, telling him that he was in danger, that he wasn't in. This is what anxiety does. It tells you that you're about to crash when really you're not. Anxiety breaks your gauges and causes you to feel the feeling as if the thing happened when it hasn't happened yet. Okay. You find out a loved one's in the hospital and you get all in anxiety, you feel the grief of their death when they're still alive. You got a court case coming up. You feel the anguish of the guilty sentence before the trial's ever started. Anxiety breaks your gauges, causes you to feel closer to destruction than you really are. So to speak not to warfare, he he dealt with that in Ephesians, to speak to worry, because again, worry is often worse then the warfare itself. The apostle Paul writes Philippians chapter four and in verse six, he says, be anxious for nothing. How? First of all, the word anxious means to worry or obsess over something that hasn't, it hasn't, it, it hasn't happened. It hasn't happened. And yet you're worried and obsessed over what hasn't happened. And then Paul gives four very simple steps. I think he's brilliant in writing it. I praise the Holy Spirit for writing it through him because it's just so brilliant. Paul gives four simple, brilliant in their simplicity, simple steps to answer anxiety. Because remember, anxiety is just a ball of questions over and over and over and over again. Being applied with intensity to your mind. It needs to be answered. But how do you answer it? Paul writes it. He says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything. In. That means there's not a thing this don't apply to. In everything by number one. Prayer. All right. We got some work to do with this point. Prayer. If you're taking notes, I wrote down there, disciplined, daily, and directional. Okay. Now, let me me get into prayer. It is one of my least favorite topics because prayer is often thought of, number one, there's many different segments of it. Um, There's many different doors uh, in that room. But a lot of people just tend to define it as what they're saying when they talk to God. And I kind of have a problem with both generations. The older generation over spiritualizes it and poorly understands it. They do it. And because God is gracious and God remembers that we're dust, like David said, he, kind of winks at our foolishness sometimes and our ignorance, but the older generation tends to really cook up a lot of stuff in prayer that's really not biblical, it's more cultural. They heard it done in the church they were raised in, they heard their mama do it, or they they were exposed to prayer meetings and different things, and so they adopted a certain style and really don't know what they're doing. And because they're doing it in with sincerity and in faith, they still get some results. But the model is just terrible. Okay. That's the older generation. There's a lot of vain repetition to it. You know, Father God, we come, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, Father God. And we say, Father God, Lord God, in the name of Jesus, Lord God, Father God. And everything is a Father God, an amen, a hallelujah, glory to God. And there's, it's, it's a lot of kind of chanting and and repetitive stuff over and over again uh, because most of those people learned to pray by people who were praying to be heard. You know, who can set off the prayer the best at the prayer meeting? Who can make it sound the best, you know? And not, not all of that's bad and not all of that's evil. It's just misinformed, okay? The younger generation... They just don't do it at all, uh, partly because they they can't they can't see themselves doing it like a lot of people have modeled it, and it it doesn't really it doesn't really click as to its effectiveness or to how it should be done, why it should be done, and also it seems to the younger generation hard, laborious. Like, I got to create all these words. This generation we're living in today, the younger generation, they're not good at talking. They would rather text you. Then pick up the phone and call you. When I want to talk, I want to talk. I've had to get into it with a few people around here because I will call and want to talk and they will respond to me with a text. I don't like having those conversations through text. I need to hear your voice, I need to hear your attitude. Your voice inflection will tell me things that the words on the screen will not tell me. I need to hear how long it takes you to answer me in real time. That will tell me something. So I like to talk. I like to communicate. This generation, they do not, they don't do well at speaking. So if they can't speak to other people, they're, they're going to be really hesitant coming to God. So it's causing an all-time high in the younger generation and even people in my generation. It's causing an all-time high in anxiety, fear, and depression. Because there's so much going on in the mind, so many questions being demanded that they can't answer, and they're not using this. So let's talk about prayer. What is it? What is prayer? For For this understanding, I want you to do me a favor. And throw out of your mind for a moment any and every prayer book you've ever read. Because Jesus didn't write that. Okay. What did Jesus, God in the flesh, say about prayer? When his disciples came to him and they said, we don't know how to pray. Will you teach us how to pray like we should? Jesus said, now listen, I've heard a lot of people throw this out. I've heard a lot of people say that this is just an example. This is just a model, but you can fill in the blanks and use your own stuff. None of that is true. At some point, we have to take God at his word. And when Jesus explains something so clear about a subject so important, we have to, we have to know he's not speaking in riddles to us. This is not a parable. This is a direct instruction that is to be obeyed in faith, and it works. How should we pray? He said, when you pray, say, number one, praying is saying, praying is saying, if you're not saying, you're not praying. <clears throat> That's so good. That's good. There's all these people that pray and meditate in their heart. That ain't prayer. That's okay. Right, it ain't praying. If you ain't say it. Okay. When you pray, say our father, what is Jesus teaching? The person of prayer, the person of prayer that when you get down to pray, you know, That you are speaking, not to some nebulous universe, not to some indescript thing. You are speaking to a someone, to a person. And that person is God the Father. Also understand this. We do not pray to Jesus Christ. (laughs) We do not pray to Jesus Christ. We pray to the Father. But we pray through the Son. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father unless he comes through or by me. So we don't pray to Jesus Christ. We pray through Jesus to the father and we pray in the name of Jesus because Jesus is the only one that's been accepted. Jesus is the only one that the father has put his seal of approval on. So we say our father, the person of prayer, our father in heaven. That's the position of prayer. You have to understand in your mind when you pray this. That though you are standing on the earth, your words are going into another dimension. Your words are going into another sphere. And though you may be speaking on the earth, you are being heard in heaven. Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. This is the praise. Okay. This is praise praise what Jesus is setting up here the reason it's so important and the reason you're foolish for being such a sage Christian and not doing this every day because you think it's pediatrics and you think it's simple Jesus is setting a model of approach this is step one okay you start your prayer this way if you miss the first step the rest of it is going to be done in error So Jesus is framing the approach. Start like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What name are we supposed to hallowed? Well, the Bible says after the cross, after Jesus taught his disciples this, after the cross, God the father was so pleased with what Jesus did that he highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every other name to be spoken. That means the name of Jesus is above the name Yahweh. That means the name Jesus is above Adonai. That means the name of Jesus is above El Shaddai and Elohim. That means the name of Jesus is above Jehovah Jireh. That means the name of Jesus is above every other spoken name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be the name of Jesus. Praise be to the most high name of Jesus Christ. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. That's the power. The power of God is regulated to his kingdom. If you want to see the power of God flow, it has to flow through the conduit, through the pipe of his kingdom. So you are praying for the kingdom to come and manifest as it pertains to your life. Thy kingdom come. That will be done. That's the purpose. That's the purpose that that when I go down to pray, there's not only the the strong possibility my prayer will move God. There's also the strong probability that my prayer will move me move me from my own agenda, move me from my own will move me from my own way of thinking. And when I say Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now my prayers getting pulled into alignment with God's purpose on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. That's the provision. We are commanded by Jesus to ask God, the father for provision every day. Now here's the challenge with this. I cannot get Wednesday's provision based off Sunday's prayer. Give us today what is needed today. Give in this moment what is needed in this moment. He doesn't tell you to pray about tomorrow. In fact, in a later place, he says, do not worry about tomorrow. Keep your focus on today. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us. That's the prerequisite of prayer. Forgive us. He tells us to do this daily. He tells us to ask for forgiveness daily. He tells us to repent daily. This should take off of you any condemnation or any fear about approaching God because of your sin. Sin makes you want to hide from God, makes you want to be distant from God, but, but that's incorrect thinking. God knew you were going to sin. That's why he sent his only begotten son, Jesus down the cross and shed his blood to be a propitiation for our sin. Propitiation means divine justice is satisfied divine justice is satisfied through the sacrifice that Jesus made. But he does tell us, even though the sacrifice is made, he does tell us, ask for forgiveness every day. Forgive us of our sins. God knows what you did. God knows how bad it was. God knows how messy it was. God knows how nasty it was. God's not shocked by your sin and your sin's not a problem for him. But he does tell you to repent every day. There's things you receive supernaturally in your psyche and in your spirit, in your heart and your mind when you simply repent before God every single day. Forgive us of our sins, our trespasses, our debts, depending on what translation you're using. As we forgive. Now here's an important point. If you're dealing with anxiety, I want you to know what the scripture teaches unforgiveness leads to torment on the scale of anxiety, the highest level of anxiety, the most fierce form of anxiety is torment. When you're holding unforgiveness concerning someone, you have opened yourself up to the worst type of anxiety. There is, which is torment. So you're saying, forgive me of my sins. And as you're forgiving me, Lord, I release and I forgive those that have sinned against me, those that that have done wrong to me. So he's teaching this as a starting point. And that's what Paul calls prayer. Okay. Going through the model and going through it with discipline, okay, with discipline going through it daily and going through it in a directional way, not just some random spouting off. Okay, so we go through prayer. Who taught you that there was something weak or feeble about saying the Lord's Prayer? Who taught you that was a Catholic thing? Or who taught you that that was some kind of vain thing like the Pledge of Allegiance or saying the ABCs? If you recite the Lord's Prayer in faith, you are obeying the scripture, Hallelujah. and you are releasing its power. Hallelujah. Never mind how your mind feels about it. You're doing something powerful by saying the Lord's prayer. That's, that's the starting point. Paul says, do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer. Number two, supplication. Now, supplication is a little different than prayer. A lot of people confuse them. It's the Greek word, diomei, diomei. It means to petition with desire, but I like the second definition because it's a it's a tough word in the Greek. Anyway, I like the second definition. It means to seek with words or to reach for and try to grab. But instead of using your hand, you're using your own words. Supplication is the place where you leave the manner and model that Jesus taught And you step into your own words. This is the place where you begin to pour your heart out to God. This is a place you begin to even list what's wrong with you. what, What the issue is, what your fears are, what the threats are. This is a place where you get real with God and you tell him what the big problem is, whatever it is on that day. You open up your heart and you pour it out to him in your own words. Uh, this this ventilation it's not so you can inform God about what's going on. He knows what's going on. It's so that you can get the threat, the fear and the anxiety out of you into God. This is what Peter meant when he wrote cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. How do I cast all of my cares, my depression, my anxiety, my fear, my worry? How do I cast that on the Lord? I cast it with my mouth in supplication, something spiritual, supernatural that bypasses your mind happens when you ventilate the things you're worried, anxious, concerned, depressed over, whatever it is. When you ventilate that to God in supplication, God hears the threats, here's the difficulties, here's how I feel. When you ventilate all that, something spiritual happens. There's an exchange out of you into God through supplication. A good definition or a good uh, biblical example of supplication, rather, and I don't have time to go through it, but you can look at it at your leisure if you're taking notes. Uh, King Hezekiah in 2 Kings uh, nineteen. Our, yeah, chapter 19, verses 14 through 19. Basically, what happened is a rival king named Sennacherib. I love that name, Sennacherib. It might reminds me of snacking on a rib, Sennacherib. <laughs> Sennacherib sends, hallelujah, Sennacherib sends a letter, a series of letters, really. And he tells Hezekiah, this is how I'm going to come in and destroy you and kill your family. This is how I'm going to kill all your governors and your judges and your provinces. This is how I'm going to take all your wealth and what I'm going to do with it. He sends all these letters to Hezekiah. So first, Hezekiah prays. He approaches God in a formal way through a model that they used in the Old Testament. But then Hezekiah takes all those letters that Sennacherib sent to him, goes to the temple and lays them out on the altar. And he says, God, look at these. God, this is what they said they're going to do to us. God, this is what they said they're going to do to me and my family. And he shows God all of it. Why? God already knew about it. Hezekiah was getting it out of him. The threatening letter. Out of him. Into God. And I love the last thing he says. He says, it's not all positive. He says, we do not know what to do. But our eyes are on you. Your supplication can vacillate between the problem and the faith. It can vacillate vacillate between negativity and positivity. Read some of David's Psalms. It's as negative as the day is long. David's complaining and upset. Read some of Moses' writings. Read some of Job's writings. There's a lot of negativity in there. Sometimes supplication is you pouring out the negativity. But then there's also a balance of faith in there. Supplication is important to ventilate what's going on in your soul. So be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. This is brilliant. He says, in supplication, I want you to make a list of everything that's bothering you and make a list of everything that's wrong. But then... I want you to go immediately after that into Thanksgiving. The word Thanksgiving in the Greek there literally translates, make a list of gratitude. So show me your list of fears. Show me your list of threats. Show me your list of everything that's going wrong in your heart, in your life, in your soul. And then as soon as you finish showing me that. I want you to make another list of what you're thankful for, because no matter how bad it is in your life on your worst day, you've always got something to be thankful for, grateful for. And so he said in your prayer time, make a list of gratitude. Make a list of gratitude and give God praise for what is working. God, everything in my life seems turned upside down, but I thank you that I have a roof over my head. I have breath in my body. I have blood circulating through my entire body. Nobody helped me go to the bathroom this morning. I took myself. Nobody had to feed me this morning. I fed myself. I may be going through a lot of stress, but I ain't got no tubes in me right now. Thank you, Lord. I don't have no tubes in me right now. I may be going through a lot of pain. This relationship may be in trouble, but I don't have a catheter in right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I can digest my food. Thank you, Lord, for the working of my kidneys. Thank you, Lord. I can swallow my water. Thank you, Lord, that I got somebody in my life that cares about me enough to call me and check on me. Thank you, Lord. Kids may be going crazy right now, but somebody don't have any kids to worry about. So thank you for the children that you Gave me house is a little crazy, but somebody don't have a house, so thank you, Lord, for what. And you start making a list of what you're thankful for. When's the last time you made a thankful list in your prayer? When's the last time you spent seven consecutive days doing this, making a list of gratitude in your prayer? It is life changing if you do it. Be anxious. I'm teaching. Stop preaching, boy. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything. Prayer. Supplication. With thanksgiving. Praise. Thank you, God. That's what praise is. Thanking God for what he's done. Thank you, God, for what you've done for me. Oh, hallelujah. Number four, then Let your requests be made known unto God. A lot of people, when they get down to pray, they use number four as number one. It don't work like that. That's not the model. If you understood how powerful this model that I'm giving you is, it would change your spiritual life. I'm telling you, you ain't been doing this right every day. I promise you. You ain't been doing this right every day. It's at number four that you begin to let your requests be made known unto God. I can teach you this because I learned this early. I learned this before I learned common sense. I learned this when I was a brat. Okay. And, and it served me well. You ain't going to like me after this story. And it's okay. It's my story. You don't have to like it. But you ain't going to like me. You're going to think different about me after this story. But it's all right. I was 19 years old. 19. And uh, my dream car, the one I had a poster of all, all my adolescent years, was a Corvette. And I found one, used one for about $32,000. I told my dad, I'd really like Corvette. And uh, my dad and I have always had this thing. I've not been a perfect son. I've not been a perfect person far from, far, far, far from it. But I've always done everything my dad asked me to do. And... uh, he asked me to do something, and it wasn't easy, and I did it, and he came in, and he said, you did what I asked you to do, and he said, uh, I'm not gonna get you that car that you found. He said, but my buddy, Larry Benson, that owned Benson Chevrolet back in the day, said he had a heart attack a month ago. He called me in, and I prayed for him. They weren't expecting him to make it, and he said, and he recovered. He got healed, and he said, I was talking to him about this situation with the car, and he said, uh, he told me to come by that he's got a limited edition Corvette Z06, brand new, 405 horsepower. And he said, he wants to make me a deal and get you in that car. I am 19. years old, with a black Corvette Z06, with red seats, 405 horsepower, and everywhere I went, I went fast, for Jesus, pulled up to the church, for the Lord, you know, I started preaching when I was 20 and you ought to have seen some of the churches I went to to preach and I pulled up in that car. (laughs) Got out with my Bible notebook. Those people were wishing they wouldn't have invited me. Nobody knew the story, you know, behind it. So it just looked ridiculous. And as you can probably imagine, I drove like a maniac. Everywhere I went in the first year I had it, I racked up so many speeding tickets that they suspended my driver's license. Now, if you've never had your driver's license suspended, what you do, no, you don't go bicycle yet. That's step two. What you do when, when you first get it suspended, and it's only been suspended one time, there is something called a provisional license in SR-22, where you can get a provisional license to drive to places like work, you know, church, to the grocery store, and you have to keep a little log with you and write in the log what time you left, where you're going, when you're coming back, and all this kinds of stuff. But you got to see a judge to get it. And I had an appointment with that judge, and my daddy knew the judge. So I thought, be all right. We go in to see this judge. This judge says, I don't ever want to see either one of you ever again. You remember that, daddy? I don't ever want to see your face or your face ever again in this courtroom. If I see you again, this is what he said. That's my daddy. If I see you again, I'm going to do everything in my power to take you off the road. So I got my sr 22 and I went back and got in that car and within a week, I got a speeding ticket on a provisional license and got a notice that my license had been suspended for one year. Now, listen. They should have suspended that thing for five years if they had any idea, but they got suspended for a year, but I decided to file an appeal. And I had to go before that same. (laughs) And I knew, like I know the back of my hand. I knew he was going to crush me. He was going to destroy me. So I got in that car that morning that I wasn't supposed to drive. (laughs) I'm telling you the God's honest truth. And I drove to a high place. I'll tell you a principle of the high place some other time. I drove to a high place. And I said, our father. In heaven. Hallowed be thy name. I went through it. Then I went into supplication. Number two. Lord, they going to ground me for a year. They going to have me, you know. And I started just telling God how I felt about it show god the paper god they said for one year i'll go to jail if i get behind the wheel what if somebody needs something number three i went into thanksgiving but lord i thank you and i began to praise god and make my list of gratitude because folks i've known this since i was a brat and I got that atmosphere of praise so hot in that car that I remembered number four after you praise him. Let your requests be made known unto God. And I knew I didn't deserve any favor. I deserved more than the suspension I was getting. But the scripture says you can always ask. Men ought to always pray. Worse he can say is no. So I said God Your word says that you hold the hearts of kings and judges and rulers in your hand. And Lord, I know it's not in this man's power to take away my license. I said, it's in your hands whether or not they take away my license. And if you want my license for a year, you can have it. But I'm asking you to give me favor with this judge. I walked in that courtroom. That judge looked at me, lowered his glasses down. Shook his head, sighed, didn't say a word to me and signed my appeal letter and didn't take my license. Why? Why, 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 why? Because it ain't because I'm special. I just learned something real young that I started using when I got in trouble. There's another time. I told you, you ain't going to like me. Another time I got stopped by on the way to church. I was going to church on a Sunday night, got stopped by a police officer that made a couple of snap judgments about me before he ever knocked on the window. Um, I'm not going to say what I think the problem was, but he, when he comes up to the window, he's already run the computer and he's seen my record. And he's seen my age. So he takes it upon himself that today is going to be the day somebody teaches this little kid a lesson. I was going, it was right there by Woodlake. I was going 53 and a 40, 13 miles an hour over. Had no warrants because I got a lot of tickets, but I paid them. I'm going 53 and a 40 no license registration he doesn't ask for any of that he just pulls me out of the car and arrests me handcuffs me throws me in the back of that car and tells me i'm gonna go search your car now i'll be right back okay. my daddy pulls up because he's the his way to church too i left before he did and we've always been we've been in the city 39 years our whole time here we've been good to SAPD and to Bear County do a lot of things with them and and dad you know figured he might you know use a little bishop charm on him and and dad pulls over and and, and gets out and starts walking cop grabs his gun and says get your lily white back in that car and move on praying for you buddy jail and it ain't gonna be good he's searching that car I'm in the back of the police car and I said our father in heaven hallowed be thy name I went all the way through it then I got into supplication Lord you know it ain't gonna be good for me to go to this jail dumped all that out went into thanksgiving and giving God praise had tears Streaming down my face, thanking God and praising God. Then number four, let your request be made known unto God. I said, God, if you could get me out of this. He came back, got in the car, looked at me, cussed me all the way out. And I smiled and said, yes, sir, you're right about all that. I am certainly all those things. He let me out, told me to go get my car, and didn't even give me a ticket. Well, why am I telling on myself like this? I want you to know this doesn't just work for good people, that we're doing the right thing and fell on hard times. This works for people in a mess that deserve their own destruction. But it will work. If you will work the model and the models in the word, so to have faith in the model is to have faith in the word. The Bible says God watches over his word carefully to perform it. So anytime that a fool or a bad man or a bad woman messes around and starts working the word, God starts watching over them and he releases blessing and deliverance and grace and power, not because they deserve it. But because the word is so good and so cherished by God. Why should you do number one prayer, the Lord's prayer? Because Jesus said in the word to pray the Lord's prayer. Why should you go into number two supplication? Because the word says go into number two supplication. Why do you transition to Thanksgiving, making a list of gratitude? Because the word says it. And then why number four? Only at that point do you let your request be made known unto God? Because the word said that's the way to do it. Do you know there's a protocol for approaching God? The scripture says in the Psalms, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. There's a protocol to the approach. And you say, Pastor, that's great. But what if you don't get what you ask for when you let your request be made known unto God? Watch this. There are sometimes you pray for stuff that you don't get. Sometimes the answer is no. Either God's gonna take you another way or God's gonna use what you're going through to serve some other purpose. Sometimes the answer is no. But that doesn't mean that you wasted your time going through the steps. Because be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer, supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. You do those things, he says, number five, and the peace. Oh, you don't hear what I'm saying. The the peace of God, which passes, (laughs) the peace which passes, all understanding shall rule shall guard, shall keep, shall protect your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. That means even if you don't get what you asked for, you still got something. You got the peace by going through the steps. You got the peace by going through the process. You got the peace, but you don't get today's peace based off yesterday's prayer. If you need today's peace, you got to go through the model again. You want tomorrow's peace. You got to go through the model again. You want Friday's peace. You got to go through the model every single time. And the Bible says it will keep, it will guard, it will build a garrison around. It'll build a fortress around your mind and your heart. A peace that, that when it says it passes understanding, that means you can go through things that you don't understand and still have peace. I want to ask you something. What couldn't you go through? if you knew you were going to go through it with peace? What couldn't you lose if you knew you'd have a peace about it? What couldn't you face if you knew you would have a peace about it? This is what makes Christians unstoppable. This is why that 11 of the 12 apostles were martyred, And while they were being killed, they were praising and thanking God and at perfect peace, being tortured to death at perfect peace because it's a supernatural peace. It's a peace that makes no sense and the peace of God, which Pat folks this is a guarantee by the authority of the Word of God if you go through those simple four steps that you get number five prayer supplication with Thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God oh you can do that I don't care if you've only been in the church two days you can do that prayer supplication Thanksgiving Let your request be made known unto God. Prayer, supplication, thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. Are you doing it daily? Are you doing it disciplined? Are you following the right model? Are you doing it directional? If you're not, that may be why. You have the core faiths and the core strengths that you have, and yet you're dealing with so much anxiety, so much depression, so much fear, so much worry. And brothers and sisters, these things ought not be. Take this. Don't shout over It's not a shouting message. Don't cry over it. It's not a crying message. Take this home. Let the ministry today start in the morning for you. When you get up and you start your day, remember these words. Not a hand laid on you or anything like that. Remember these words words from today and just use the beautiful, profound, but simple model and take your peace every day from God. Give God praise. Stand to your feet. Amen. Amen.